welcome to another episode of My Immune System Hates Me. My name is Chelsea, and today I've got a conversation with Natalie, who I actually went to high school with. Natalie has struggled with autoimmune issues for a long time, and it hasn't been easy. She's been diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and has even battled cancer while pregnant. She's a warrior, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Hi, Natalie. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Hi. You're actually the first person that reached out to me and said, I've got an autoimmune disease. I'll talk about it. So I really appreciate you. Um being willing to share your medical diagnosis with us. <laughs> yeah, well, I just feel like we need it. <laughs> we Everybody needs it. Anyone that has autoimmune diseases, we need it. Everybody needs to just share their stories because there's not a lot of information out there for people to hear. Yeah, it's true. Before I got diagnosed, I had no idea what autoimmune diseases were, what they meant. So I definitely need the resources. So I appreciate it a lot. (laughs) Um, Before we start talking about the medical stuff, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I co-own a dance studio, Thrive Dance Studio in Langley. And I teach there, um, still finding a balance of teaching and running it, which is always a little bit crazy. And I do, I love doing a lot of like the marketing uh, for the studio, which is super fun for me. And I have two boys, I'm married and I live in Fort Langley. I have two boys um, who are three and one and a half. So that keeps me pretty busy in terms of like, hobbies, I would say I've, I, especially over the past six months over COVID stuff, I've been more officially taking up some hobbies that I've enjoyed. So I've been doing some watercolor painting, which has been kind of random, but cool. Um, and I like reading self-help books. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of those. So I've been reading a lot of those specifically lately. The, the latest one is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, and then I have been doing uh, photography for many years. I've always been interested in photography. Um, And then just recently, I have kind of secretly um, starting up a side hustle business thing. So yeah, so that'll, that's kind of like up and coming and just adding another thing to my life, I guess, to keep me busy. I don't know, but I love it. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So you told me very briefly, you have, you have quite a history with some autoimmune diseases. Um, so what's the deal? What's up? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, what a ride. Okay. So basically I, I have Sjogren's syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease, but my story kind of evolves through being diagnosed with lupus which for me is, I, I guess, not necessarily more serious, but definitely more um, like life-threatening. So I, as a child, always had a lot of health issues. My mom recognized it. Things that were reoccurring uh, that came up constantly, like I would get rashes, which is, it can be a sign, like a rash on my chest, which can be a sign of lupus. I in general, just had a, sort of a, like a weak immune system. I was constantly sick as a, as a kid, I'm trying to think of other things. Oh, I had like, um, which is a main sign of, of Sjogren's syndrome, my salivary glands, um, as I got older, got to be very painful and um, actually would swell up. I, I remember it very vividly. The worst time that I ever had that happen was I was actually attending my uncle's funeral 
And because it, it can be very stimulated by stress, my salivary glands were so painful and they swelled up and I literally, it literally looked like my wisdom teeth had been removed. Like I, you couldn't see the definition between my jaw and my neck. And it was so painful. And like, naturally your body uses, like when you think about food, you salivate. Like we think about that with animals, but that is what happens. So um, all of a sudden this thing that you don't realize your body is doing I was like, don't think about food because I was worried because it would actually be like my body would try to produce the saliva, but it would hurt um, what they say. And they don't know why. Well, at that time, they didn't know why. Um, but there would be blockages. Um, and of course, with stress and thinking about food or wanting to eat and salivating, those blockages would literally swell up. And, and I would have to, the diagnosis back then before we knew what was kind of going on. They said, okay, eat sour candies and massage it out. Um, and, and that was after multiple tests of like ultrasounds, trying to figure out what it was, whether it was like tension in my jaw, whether I was holding tension and all of those factors. But it was a, yeah, it was a long road of for many, many years, all the way through elementary school, all the way through high school of not knowing what was going on. And I got really literally sick of it. <laughs> like I was tired of not understanding. And I kept going to like, I had a family doctor and I kept going to him. Um, and with the same things, my mom was going to the same things, the, the things would come up and just as quickly they would, the symptom would arise by the time we would wait or sit or book an appointment, or if I had to go to the hospital, whatever it was, just as quickly as I got it, uh, it would fade and it was gone. And so I'd get to the doctor or they'd see it and they try and evaluate me. And, and I would say, well, I did have it and it was like this, but then they could never evaluate me and it was too late. And honestly, that probably should have been a good indication of um, the fact that I was going in for the same things, but could never get there fast enough or that they were kind of fleeting might've been a good indication of Sjogren's syndrome and an autoimmune disease, but I was never flagged. And so yeah, that was really frustrating. So when I graduated high school, I started doing my own research and essentially diagnosed myself with lupus, what I, what I thought would be lupus and or some sort of autoimmune disease, because I, I, I honestly just typed in all of the symptoms that I was having, like the things that were reoccurring and I was keeping journals and I couldn't understand what was going on. And I was, and up pot, like the first thing was just like lupus. And I was like, Oh my God, like this could be the answer. This is what's happening. So off I went to my family doctor and was like, I want to be tested for lupus and anything. Like I want full blood work. This is what's up. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And sure enough, one of the, one of the, from what I understand, and again, I'm, I'm no doctor and I'm still like researching and all that stuff. But from what I understand, one of the main indicators of any autoimmune disease is like that ANA factor, which is essentially like it looks at the auto antibodies in your bloodstream. And essentially, if those are elevated, that shows us that there's some sort of immune stimulation happening. So there that your body is activated in some way thinks that something is wrong in some way. Um, but it doesn't indicate lupus specifically, it doesn't indicate any one thing, you have to then go and search for what, okay, what are the symptoms that I have? And how do those correlate with maybe different diseases? Because there's a whole plethora of different autoimmune diseases that you could fall into. So being a dancer at that time, I was heavily dancing. And lupus, what is often associated with that is uh, rheumatoid arthritis. 
And I had a lot of back issues and I had always had a lot of back issues going through high school and a lot of back pain. And so I was kind of being tested for that. But one of the things as a dancer, it was kind of funny to be approached like this, but they were like, oh, well, can you touch your toes? And I was like, well, yeah, I can touch (laughs) my toes. Like, give me a break. Um, And they're like, okay, well, it can't be arthritis then. And so that was like a little bit odd. And and then again, that sort of pushed the maybe it's not lupus kind of thing, because well, she can touch her toes. And if she doesn't have arthritis, which can be a main factor of lupus can be, then maybe that's not what it is. And then I ended up getting pushed over to a specialist. And then that's where they basically told me like, yep, this is what's up. There was at that time when I was diagnosed with lupus, they had said Sjogren syndrome is a part of this to a certain degree. We don't know how much but it could be the element of the salivary gland thing. So with Sjogren syndrome specifically, it's all about fluid. So any places in your body that, well, have fluid, which is almost everything, but um, salivary glands and your, um, what else? I'm trying to like think. So that like salivary glands, your eyes, you can get like vaginal dryness, you, your lungs can be a thing. So often people have um, dry cough. So, so anything that's like fluid related. And at that time, my eyes were not an issue. So that wasn't a big thing. The really only other thing was the salivary gland. And, and so it didn't feel like that was a huge factor in my, in my mind when they were like, we don't know, like if we had to try and present it, like how much is lupus and how much Sjogren's, we don't know. And so for me, Sjogren's was kind of like the side factor, like no one could pronounce it. No nurses <laughs> knew it. Um, I, had to ex- I had to explain it to certain doctors when I would show up. So it was a very odd scenario. And then, so, so in seeing the specialist, of course, I was given um, medications, which were hydroxychloroquine, which is, I think, actually used for um, malaria prevention, which, cool, <laughs> um, and prednisone. And so we talk about with autoimmune, kind of the lingo is flare-ups. And so I was, at that time, having a lot of these flare-ups and that was mainly associated with my salivary glands and just different things that would come up for me um, symptom wise. So I was told like hydroxychloroquine, we're going to put you on this, you're going to take this medication every day. And then with the prednisone, you're going to take it to sort of when those flare ups happen, that's when you're going to take it to subside those situations. Now, this is where it gets tricky for me, because I was doing that for quite a few years, but it was hard for me because I never knew any different. So it was hard to understand what is normal, like what should I not be feeling? Because I, from as long as I can remember, I was having all of these symptoms and people would ask me like, if you can rate like your pain or you can rate your discomfort or all of that. And I'm like, well, like, what do I base this off of? Right. Right. Um, So that became really difficult. And, and so it really had to do a lot with like preference and just sort of trial and error because there's all these side effects with the drugs too. So it's like, do you balance out? Like, are you choosing then to be like, okay, I'm going to choose to take these drugs to subside my symptoms from the disease that I have and then suffer through the side effects from those drugs. And that's more worth it to me. Or do I not do that? and suffer with the symptoms like which one is greater (laughs) or like more intense and you kind of just have to find that balance so for me it was very odd seeing a specialist and and being diagnosed with lupus uh and even Sjogren's syndrome you go into an office and I was 
the only young person amongst like six-year-olds because it is so uncommon or so we think. Um, <laughs> and so that felt very odd. So walking into it, they told me, oh, because you're so young, uh, there's a chance that if you take the medication that you could quote unquote grow out of this, that there, there are studies that potentially you could grow out of this. And so I thought, cool. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into not doing it. So I, I veered more on the edge of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the drugs. I'm going to do that because maybe I can actually get rid of this thing. Like, so yeah, I was taking medication, but then the side effects became a little bit too much. Like over time, it took a really long time for me to see the more of the long-term effects. So a big one for me was brain fog and just feeling like I couldn't concentrate. And at the time I was in university, so that was like a huge thing for me uh, that I struggled with. And energy uh, levels were majorly impacted. And then of course, in terms of side effects, you can get like headaches and dizziness and nausea and lack of appetite. And so it's like this vicious cycle, right? So I had kind of decided, okay, you know what, in terms of my pain levels and in terms of my discomfort, I'm going to step back away from this, like if flare ups were to happen, like if I, if I truly felt like I was in danger, and I needed the medication, then I would take it. But otherwise, I'm not going to. And so I, I, I wasn't taking the prednisone at all for for quite a long time in terms of the flare ups, they would happen, I would sort of do my own thing to figure out how I could manage that. And then in terms of the hydroxychloroquine, they were wanting to amp up my medication after a certain period of time. And then I, I basically had decided like, nope, I'm instead of taking the full dosage, I'm going to take half dosage. That was just sort of like, I don't know, maybe it was in my mind, like, I'm going to beat this. I'm not going to let it overcome my life and yeah. having some sort of some sort of control in an uncontrollable situation. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's for quite a few years. That's how it was. I was taking hydroxychloroquine minimally. Nothing was really coming up out of the norm. Things were kind of managed, so it wasn't too bad. I mean, now in hindsight, now knowing more information and, and knowing the things afterwards that I don't actually have lupus, um, <laughs> there's a lot more knowledge in the way that I live my life is totally different. So then, you know, got married and uh, we decided, okay, we want to have babies. So that it really brings in a whole nother element of it all. Honestly, like it, it, there's a lot of fear there. There's not a lot of like studies on women that have had uh, lupus or Sjogren's syndrome who have also had successful births and healthy babies. Not that that doesn't happen, but there's just not a lot of studies or indications. So there's a lot of unknown, which at that point was like, what's new? Like there's so much unknown yeah. <laughs> about autoimmune <laughs> diseases. So it was just sort of like, okay, like we'll just take it day by day. And with me being the little bit of a control freak that I am, <laughs> I of course wanted to do a full blood work set so that I could make sure that before we started trying to have a baby that I felt like I'm at least putting my best foot forward. Essentially that in terms of my levels and what I'm eating and all of those types of factors were okay. That I was like, ground level okay so I did a whole everything like pap smears everything all good and it seemed as though everything was great so we obviously got pregnant I was considered a high-risk pregnancy because of having lupus and Sjogren's syndrome so I was seeing a specialist um, which was super cool because it was the first time that it felt like someone actually cared about 
me like and understanding what was going on from day to day and and really accurately monitoring it and maybe that was because well it was because I had a child growing inside of me so there was more of that like (laughs) concern about my my health I guess so anyways I went through the pregnancy and essentially what what was told to me was that during the pregnancy you're either gonna feel this is this is gonna be you're gonna get a kick out of this during the pregnancy, <laughs> you're you're gonna either feel better, the same, or worse. Okay. I was like, that seems really <laughs> non-informative. And then they were like, and the birth and afterwards, same thing. You're either gonna feel better, the same, or worse. And that to me was a little bit like, okay, <laughs> like I'm not sure what exactly is being communicated, but hey, like being better, the fact that that is that might be an option is kind of neat. And that's exactly what happened. Essentially, I was living the good life when, while I was pregnant. I wow. was still taking hydroxychloroquine, which was allowed because it was low, very low dosage. Um, and I was able to take it afterwards as well, even through breastfeeding, which I was very worried about and concerned because I didn't know like how that would affect my health in growing a child and then feeding that child. But yeah, so my symptoms almost completely subsided while I was pregnant. So those like horror stories of women having, in general, women just having babies and going through that and all the struggles, I was like, let's take on the world because all of a sudden (laughs) I actually caught a glimpse of what it was like to not have the disease that I suffer with. And so we went traveling and I was hiking and it was amazing. Like it was so cool. My energy was up. It was so neat until of course I was like majorly waddling because we were getting close and then I had to kind of taper down, but, (laughs) but it was super neat. And that just mentally sort of triggered this, like if my body is able to do that. And I know that having a child is, is a major shift in, in hormones and, and physically what's going on there. But if my body's able to do that, I feel like there's got to be some way that I can create the environment. Like if it's possible in some extent, it's got to be possible in another extent. I can't just be pregnant all the time to make life better. Like that's <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. So, so that was sort of the first, like there's hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. So yeah, I went through and have now an almost four-year-old, three-year-old, um, and he's healthy. And of course, like while you have these, these things, these diseases, of course, they test the baby. So we had to see a pediatrician and all that, but he's fine and I was fine and everything was fine. And there was a few flare-ups afterwards for me, but it was fine. And then uh, we decide we're going to have another baby. And so again, I decide, okay, we're going to do that full blood work again. Let's go in um, another pap smear. We're going to get all this testing. And in that time, so this would have obviously been before I was pregnant, before we started trying, I had a pap smear and it came back abnormal. So that was really freaky. And because that's never happened before, because I am an avid person that goes for my tests and all of that stuff. So that was really freaky. So it came back abnormal and they, they got me to do another test essentially. And of course you have this thing about when you do tests, if you don't hear anything back, like thumbs up type of deal. Um, so off I went to do another test and then didn't hear anything back from them or my family doctor because all the test results would have theoretically been sent to my family doctor and, and whatnot. So we were like, okay, here we go. Here's our ticket. We're, we're good to go. So uh, we got pregnant. 
-hmm. And then a few months in, it turns out that my results from that secondary test were actually sent to my doctor's old office. And what held those test results was essentially that I had actually had cancer. So that was a bit of a blow, (laughs) but they didn't, what was crazy was that they didn't know a hundred percent for sure, unless they could actually do like a biopsy. But because I was already pregnant, they could not, essentially the cancer that I had was cervical cancer. It turned out to be cervical cancer, but they didn't know, they couldn't say that. They were like, it's looking like this is the case, but we can't do a biopsy because we can't take anything from your cervix because it would thin it and you are pregnant. So I was so mad. I was so mad because I was like, I took the own it. Like I was the one that stepped forward and was like, I want to do these tests. I want to make sure we're good. And I'm not going to do it. We're not going to try unless we know everything's all good. And then of course this happens. So we had to wait. We had oh, to wait man. essentially while I was pregnant, not knowing, but kind of knowing. And that was odd. And then at the same time, so I'm, I'm seeing that same specialist, my gynecologist and specialist um, through that pregnancy as well. And um, we had our initial like sit down, like, okay, like you're pregnant again. Woohoo. Like, so, and he's going through my history and it was a new person within that office. Uh, and he's going through my history and just saying, okay, yeah, like Sjogren's and just all the different things. And this is how your past pregnancy went and birth and all that stuff. And then he's like, is there anything else that any questions, anything else? And I said, well, you didn't mention the lupus part of the history, which I feel like is maybe a large factor in like, <laughs> yeah, be talking about right now. And he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I feel so silly. I, I had no idea. It's just not in your file. And I was like, that's so odd. And he was like, I, I'm, I'm actually so embarrassed. And he was like scrolling through his computer and James and I were sitting next to each other at the desk looking at each other like, well, this is weird. And um, anyways, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll look into this and let's book another meeting and we'll figure this out. Okay, sure. Like, same, same. It's all fine. So we came back for another meeting and he basically said, I'm not sure where or when you would have been diagnosed with lupus or why they would have told you that, but you were definitely misdiagnosed with lupus. So that was a bit of a shocker, like a a major shift from like, okay, we've got cancer happening, but yay, no lupus, but you already (laughs) went through a whole birth through that and years, like at that time, it would have been like, well, at least 10 years of being diagnosed with it. And theoretically taking medication to subside what I thought was like primarily lupus, secondarily Sjogren's syndrome. So that was a bit of like a, and I'm not, to this day, I'm, I'm really not sure how that happened. And I mean, to be fair, I, like, I don't want to say to any, like, it, it's any one doctor's fault because there was no one person. And, and with lupus and autoimmune diseases, they are so difficult to diagnose because with every person, it looks different. Mm -hmm. And like, when you look up lupus specifically, it's like patients could have this and it ends up being like, I almost feel like whoever decided that lupus was what it was, they were like, well, we don't understand these types of autoimmune. So we're just going to call it lupus and (laughs) they all get categorized and it could be different for some people and it could be different for these people. Yeah. Yeah. I guess some of the uh, uh, alternate indicators that would sort of support the diagnosis weren't there. And so he, he was like, for sure, Sjogren's, like that's there. Like the, that is a direct correlation. You definitely have it. 
um, which is an autoimmune disease, but in no way do I think that you have lupus. Like you're not, especially over these years, like you haven't there, we haven't had kidney issues. We haven't had like with lupus, it's very much like all the organs or can be in your body. And so, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was a bit of like a, a, a relief to be honest. So we were stepping down from one high risk type of scenario in terms of the pregnancy and then stepping up in another with, with um, the cervical cancer situation. So a little bit crazy. So long story short, which this is turning out to be a long story anyways, but um, (laughs) essentially I had another birth and it was actually better than the first one, uh, ironically, in a sense that I felt a lot more confident going into it. And I I think primarily a lot of those factors were were likely just because they were my second birth and I had an idea of how it was going to go. My my first birth was a little bit more like low standards, like come out alive, girl, like (laughs) have a healthy baby, like very low standards, nothing else mattered which is good, I guess. But yeah, just very low standard. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, now I have uh, another little boy. And shortly after he was born about I think it was about six months, I ended up getting the surgery needed for the cervical cancer. And oddly enough, in that surgery, they take the biopsy. And I guess because I had it like it was invasive, but it was very small that they were able to remove it in the biopsy. So in testing, they were they, they were able to remove it all. But of course, when they called me, I didn't hear that. And I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. And like, it was, and then I had to call back and they're like, no, 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 we removed it all. Like, just to say that again. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of that scenario. So oh. now, currently, <laughs> I have Sjogren's syndrome and not lupus. And I do not have cancer anymore. Yay. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is good. Do they think that the the Sjogren's and the cancer were connected at all? You know, that's a really good question. I, I don't think so because with the cancer, because it was cervical cancer and it, there's really no studies to show that there's any correlation between Sjogren's syndrome and mm. that. So I don't think so. I don't think that um, there's any correlation, but hey, if anyone knows, hit me up because that would be really cool to find out. <laughs> Yeah, I just wonder because you said that like Sjogren's affects any sort of liquid in your body. And you had yeah. mentioned like vaginal dryness could be a symptom. Yeah. So I was just wondering if that could be correlation. Yeah. That would be interesting. It sounds like too, when you first started getting your symptoms, you definitely like took charge and were like, I'm feeling these things. Let me look them all up. Mm-hmm. You did that as a teenager? Yeah. And then I think like it was like as I graduated and then going into university, that's when I like brought it to the doctor and was like, test me make it happen. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's one of the th- biggest things that I've learned is you have to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. I, you kind of have to just do your own research and almost become your own doctor and own advocate and, and ask for tests, ask and say like, I think this, or I think that, or I want to do this test. And more often than not, they'll say, okay. And they're fine. Yeah, for sure. What is your treatment now then? So now that you know you don't have lupus, are you still on the hydroxychloroquine? Like, does, did that control Sjogren's and lupus? Yeah. Or did you have to kind of change your treatment? So lucky enough, um, because they're both autoimmune diseases, and I'm actually so grateful for this, that hydroxychloroquine is treatment for Sjogren's syndrome. So I really lucked out there. But again, with me... I chose, and to be fair, like 
I don't have a lot of contact, if any, contact with people that also have Sjogren's syndrome, but I believe that I don't have a very aggressive case of it. Like, I think that it goes in waves for sure, but I think it can affect your kidneys and liver and like things like that. And I definitely don't deal with that. And so I think that I'm very lucky that I can make the decisions to not have medication or think about my own quality of life and make those choices. Whereas I think maybe other people don't have that choice. It, it is a very clear choice for them that they need the medication, period. That's what's up. And that's the better choice for them, which is totally fine. But for me, I, I was able to actually come off of it. So currently, I don't take any medication wow. for Sjogren's syndrome, which is pretty cool. But I think that it has taken a lot of different things to help me figure out uh, how to manage my symptoms and to listen to my body so that I essentially take on the role that the medication would, which like it's ongoing. And I think it will be because as my body changes, as, as I get older, it will constantly be evolving. What kind of things you do to manage? Do you still just don't think about food or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. or do you like have diet or, or exercise? Like what is it that you do to manage? Yeah. So basically management, I am seeing a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Allie Power who we went to school with. No. Um, which is, yes. No way. I just was talking to Janelle and she also goes to see Dr. Allie Power. Oh man, I got to get Dr. Allie on here. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally. She's amazing. Wow. And so she has been the first person who I think cares. <laughs> it's so nice to say that. But like, I think that people need to see like somebody like a specialist. And I knew that in not taking um, hydroxychloroquine and going that route, that stepping out of that, I was going to have to step into something else. Like there, it, it, it's not something that I could just ignore and be like, well, I'm fine with this. Or at least for me, I, I needed to make sure that like, I want to be my best self. I want to be healthy and I want to have energy and all the things that were kind of plaguing me. Like now it was, it has gotten worse in terms of my eyes. Like before they didn't bother me at all. And now um, I have a lot of eye dryness, mm. but since seeing Allie though, that's gotten a lot better with the things that she's recommended. So that's been pretty cool. And like my salivary glands are still there, but much more minimal. So anyways, with Allie, Dr. Allie, <laughs> I call her Allie because yeah. <laughs> she's my friend and I, it's hard to but she's a doctor and it's so cool that your friend can be a doctor and be your advocate, which is super awesome. Yeah. So with her, we're kind of working together to figure out, and again, it's, it's ongoing, right? To figure out diet and just different things that are going to work for me. So, you know, with my lifestyle, I'm extremely busy, mm -hmm. which I don't see changing and I'm working to find balance. Like, I think it's okay to be busy. I don't, I think it depends on personality, right? Of like where your line is and pushing past that or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In terms of managing stress levels, because to me, I've really recognized there is a very strong correlation of stress to my symptoms. Mm -hmm. And that has been a huge factor. And unfortunately so, because <laughs> I feel like whenever a doctor, whenever I'd sit down and they'd be like, well, how's your stress level? And I'd be like, like what? I, what kind of question is that? Like I don't know. I, it's I can't give you an answer because right. I don't 
no, like, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. I am lucky that I don't have to deal with diagnosed anxiety and like those like social anxiety or any of those types of factors. So when, when we're talking about stress, it's very much like my choice and my lifestyle, right? So that sucks, because yeah. it's not it's very gray. It's not like, in order to fix this, you do this. It's very much trial and error. And I think it will always be like that. But that was a hard pill to swallow, to be perfectly honest, because I think anyone that has an autoimmune disease wants the answer, yeah. right? Like you want take this and it will be better or do this and it will be better. And I don't know, with stress, it, it sort of takes that resolution that you might feel away. So for me, I'm just like trying to be less stressed out, I guess, <laughs> and just make sure, like in terms of my body, obviously I'm working on exercising more often. I, my life is dramatically switched from being a um, professional dancer to running a dance studio. And that has taken its own kind of toll on my body dancing less. So that's been interesting. And so balancing that out and like, okay, now something I actually need to go and work out or need to go and do yoga and, and care for myself in that way, where I didn't have to before, like that didn't need to be a habit for me, because I would just show up. And so now I'm working to make that a habit. Unfortunately, I am horrible about drinking water, which is so ironic, because of having Sjogren's syndrome, you'd think like dry mouth, drink water, like it's pretty <laughs> simple. But for some reason, there that craving for water just doesn't exist. I don't know what it is. I get distracted. I'm not sure. There's a bunch of half full glasses around my house that I don't finish because I'm awful at remembering to drink water. Like, I don't understand what it is. But yeah. so I'm working. But that's probably the most like it's specifically with Sjogren's syndrome. And I'm sure probably with a lot of other autoimmune diseases as in general health, even right. drinking water is essential to your well being. Um, so I'm working really hard to to do that. And then in terms of like food, it's whole foods. Again, that's kind of going to be the next step with Dr. Ali is figuring out specifically what foods maybe to avoid and being a little bit more specific. Right now, we're just kind of focusing on like eating healthy and eating whole foods and that kind of thing. But I do know because with autoimmune, it, a lot of it is or how it shows up in me is inflammation, whether I feel it like in a joint, maybe isn't always accurate for me. It's more internal. So for instance, my gut, like there's a lot of inflammation that happens there. And so my digestion is awful. And so managing that is difficult. Yeah, you kind of have to like work from the inside out, if that makes sense. So yeah, drinking more water. I take like this, it's called like GI, mm, GI something. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. But it's essentially like you throw it in your water. And it's it helps with the inflammation in your um, small and large intestine so that you're able to digest food well, better. So just things like that. And then for me, I was anemic. And so managing that, and especially with autoimmune, there can be a lot of that and, and with Sjogren's syndrome, that association there. So I do take um, iron. That's nice though, that you found a way to kind of control it without relying on medication every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. That my mind is blown with all the, <laughs> you've been like all over the place. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, so thanks so much for sharing. Is there anything else you want to add before, before we go? I guess just be your own advocate. Like, don't be afraid to ask people or 
I think what you're doing is really good because I think it'll allow people to have more access to just general information, to hear people's experiences and hearing people's stories was always really important because it felt like it can feel really isolating. It feels like it's a part of your identity and you want to talk about it, but it doesn't like easily come up in conversation. Like it's like, (laughs) Hey, so like show up to a party and you're like, so guess what? I have Sjogren's syndrome. Anyone else? I don't know. It just doesn't like come up. So it's hard to like connect with people on that way. But I I do think it's more common than when we might realize. Like I think firstly, undiagnosed, I think a lot of people do have autoimmune diseases and that are that they don't know about. Mm -hmm. But then I also think that there's a lot of people that have autoimmune diseases and we don't really have a place to be. You just sort of like cope and go on with your life and it's very quiet. And so I think being verbal and sharing your story is is really important, especially because I think like in in the little tidbits that I've gotten from other people, whether it be online or podcasts or whatever it is, I'm like, oh man, like I didn't realize that that was a thing with my disease. Like I thought that was just me. And it's super cool because being able to define yourself and your disease, like sometimes it feels like when you have a disease, you receive this label, like all of a sudden you are the disease. And it's hard to differentiate what I'm managing on top of who I am. And that doesn't make who I am. Like it won't control me. Yeah, that's, I joined like a rheumatoid arthritis support group on Facebook and um, they would like post pictures of something or they would say like, hey, does anyone else feel this? And I'd be like, yeah, I feel that. I had no idea that was related to RA, but like, I feel that too. So it is, I think so interesting to hear how it shows up in other people to be able to be like, okay, so that is something that I have, or that's something that I should look out for. Totally. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So thanks again. Where, where should people follow you or how can they um, get in touch if they want to chat? Yeah. So um, on Instagram, I'm Natalie's news, Natalie's with a Z and then news with a Z. And then eventually I will have my Natalie Cohen photography side of things, which will be kind of cool. So if anyone needs photos eventually soon, (laughs) when I secretly am not so secret, that will be a way. I think that's it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Natalie. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Before we go, I feel like I should give a mom update. She is still waiting for the rheumatologist to book her appointment and I've told her to follow up. So hopefully she gets in there ASAP. Thanks again to Natalie for divulging her medical history. And thank you all for listening. Make sure you rate and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you have any questions, advice, or would like to be a guest on the show, you can email me at myimmunesystempod at gmail.com, or you can get at me on Instagram at myimmunesystempod. See you next week.